Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we're going to talk to Jesse Neeland about their new book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues. It's almost like seeing through the matrix. You're like, I now realize that my parents or, you know, my sister or my friends are just constantly talking about weight loss or constantly complimenting appearance. And like, there comes a point where you're like, I have a better way. (laughs) But first, let's unwind from the week that was with a couple of excellent humans. With me this week, we have Erin Allen, host of the WBEZ Daily News podcast, The Rundown. Erin, welcome back. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yay. Also with us is Adora Namigade, Metro reporter at WBEZ. Adora, glad to have you back as well. It is a pleasure. Ah, yay. Okay, so this week we are going to introduce a new ridiculous game. We have decided to call it Burden or Delight, and it's exactly how it sounds. We're going to tell you about a news story from the week, and then you can tell us if you think it would be a burden or a delight. So first up, we have a story about a family in Los Angeles who discovered approximately 1 million pennies in the crawl space of a family member who recently died. We did the math so you don't have to. That would be worth about $10,000. But it's also possible there are like some super rare ones in there that could be more money. But also there are approximately 1 million of them, which means like you're dealing with like just an insane quantity of pennies. And I did look it up. I think it's about 500,000 pounds of pennies, which is just like... Too many pounds. So yeah, what do you think? Is this a burden or a delight? Adora? Okay, here's the thing. I feel like I have to say it's a delight. While I was, you know, I was reading about how they were struggling to take the pennies to the banks and some banks were rejecting them because they don't have space. But like, this is a first world burden. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Okay, because if you were down out and you found $10,000, it does not matter how it came. You would be like, You will figure it out, baby. And I think that I would take that position as well okay like if the worst of my problems is that I have ten thousand dollars no matter how inconvenient ten thousand dollars yes then I'm gonna be like you know what thank you god okay yeah that's funny I think that says like how bougie I am in my own life where I'm like I don't I don't want that I feel like this is a full (laughs) burden situation (laughs) what do you think Erin yeah I I think you're right in in the first world place because like I'm like this (laughs) The delights to me are like the win-wins, and this yes. is a, this mm. is like a burden and a delight. So it's really exactly. just a burden. Like I'm just like, yes. you know, like and then like, if I'm wealthy, then it's like, oh, this shall be a delight for someone that I will give this to and pay yes. to transport. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? But like, <laughs> for me, no. 
I do think their middle ground of like, we don't want to deal with this. Someone else give us 25. Like we're going to guess that it's worth more than the 10,000 of just straight up pennies. So give us 25 and then y'all can look through those million pennies and see what's in there. I think it's a nice little compromise. But even then it's like, I think about especially, you know, living in an apartment in Chicago, it's like, I can't, where the fuck am I going to put a million? Yeah. Pennies? Like they, they, cause they were cleaning out a deceased family member's home, right? Yes. So you got to get yeah. that stuff out of there. If you're trying to sell the house, you can sell the house yeah. with the pennies oh, included maybe. And then be like, I like that. add 25,000 to the, the cost of the house. I like that's that. That's a fun Redfin post or whatever. Yeah. I think that's cool. And you wonder like, why were they there to begin with is really my question. Well, that's the other thing is, I do feel like, you know, discussing the whole, I, are y'all familiar with like the Swedish death cleaning thing that came up no. a couple of years ago? No, I think there's I'm a not. book about it. The idea is that like, it's a, a gift that you can give future generations as you age is to clean up after your own shit essentially so that you're not burdening Ooh. them with a bunch of stuff when you die. And I do think this is an interesting example of that one where like, you know, to receive hmm. a $10,000 check after a family member passes would be extremely generous and lovely, yes. you know, yes. like that could be wonderful, but a million pennies, I don't know. It's also not quit your job money, which is what I'm looking right. for. That's true. That, like, look, that's true. I'm looking for a payout a for million a dollars, so I can go to the beach. Right. I guess maybe I shouldn't say that on this show, but you know what I mean. WBZ, please keep employing me. I love working for you. Exactly. Thank you so much for all of the generous benefits I received. But if I brought a million dollars, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So also this week, the Beatles announced that they're releasing a new song that uses artificial intelligence to include John Lennon's vocals, which I am so conflicted about. Paul McCartney said they used AI to like isolate John Lennon's real voice from an old demo and then mix it into the new song. I, I mean, I love the Beatles. They're probably one of my favorite bands ever, but like, I do not think the world needs this. No. Um, Adora. Okay. Aaron, you have opinions. We'll start with you this time (laughs) around. And also like AI is extremely troubling on a number of levels. So what do you think? Burden of delight on this one. Okay. This in some circles may be an unpopular opinion and others may be blasphemy, but I'm just like, (laughs) Uh oh. I'm so excited for what you're about to say. I'm scared. Like guys, like, okay. Okay, like, I understand, you know, you're like international sensation, like whatever. I just like, I'm over it. I'm over it. And I, yeah, that's fair. I watched Across the Universe all those years ago. And Mm. it is those versions of Beatles songs that I save on my Spotify playlist. Oh, interesting. I'm sorry, Beatles. So they still have a place in your heart, but it's the different versions. I'm on, I'm on the fence. I'm like ambivalent about it, but mostly I'm just like, ah, we don't need more Beatles songs um, and if you got to go that far and burden yourself <laughs> by getting yeah. AI to bring it back, like, ah, I'm over it. Um, so I agree with Aaron that it's a straight up burden 100 percent, but yeah. for a different reason. Mm. So I just feel like it feels dishonest. OK, like <laughs> yeah. I feel like totally. if I didn't know that he had already died or, you know, I was a young kid. I was in Gen Z. I'm like trying to discover the Beatles for the first mm. time. I would think that like he actually recorded this with his boys. And <laughs> I just feel like I want to know how the song was really recorded. And I want a disclaimer 
before the song that's like, hey, just so you know, hey, we revived know. his voice with AI. This is like, robots. Yeah, well, yeah, this is not, he was not here. <laughs> it feels dishonest. I don't like that. Well, to that point too, I mean, especially for us working in industry where you have to be so cautious about getting permission to yes. use people's voices Ooh. for things. Like, how does John feel mm-hmm. about this? Is his Great family question. getting a cut? Like the whole, it's just so weird. Yes. Yeah, it's like weird ethical questions. And then that leads into the conversation about AI in general. Because sure. we all work in a field where yeah. we use our voices you know someone could take our voice for sure uh, and put it on something that we didn't get permission for i mean that's scary to me so yeah burden or delight on ai then adora it's a whole burden but the tough thing is like it's here to stay so it's weird i don't want to be one of these people who like you know when facebook came out people like oh my gosh social media oh my but social (laughs) media was here to stay right Right. yeah so gotta figure it out that's what that's what i'm conflicted about i'm like i i think it's a burden but i think it's here so like what do i do yeah i think burden might not even be like a strong enough word honestly what do you think Erin? i okay okay this this is the thing about ai like I, I appreciate that it's creating all of these conversations about education and, you know, curriculum mm-hmm. and all of that. Like, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. It's really pushing things forward in that direction. And I think AI has a capacity to push a lot of things forward because we really need to we need to remember that, like, humans are actually vital, real people, organic mm-hmm. things <laughs> that like live and die are like really important um, and vital to our society, right? Like actual writers, right? Actual producers, actual yep. artists. artists. Yep. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, like I've been seeing these Martin Luther King heads on top of like different black men's bodies. Uh, <laughs> and oh, I'm gosh. like, I am troubled. I, I am not. I feel like it's hilarious. <laughs> and it, I get a kick out of it. I mean, there's this, there, you know, there are these whole TikTok accounts devoted to like Keanu Reeves doing things and it's not him. And like, I don't know how Keanu feels about that. We can never know how MLK feels about that. I have a homie right now. She's a Gen X and she is like very much offended and bothered by MLK being on these different people. But I'm I like, mean... let's talk about why we're mad because that man's body exists in the world and we don't know his story. Yeah. Like, why, why are we yeah. mad <laughs> that MLK's Wait, face let's talk is on it. his body? Like, because I'm a millennial and that sounds creepy. Like, it yeah. just sounds creepy to me. I just get creepy vibes. Well, I think too, like the fake news stuff is so close to, you know, it's like what is and isn't real is such a troubling conversation in this day and yeah, age that I think, yeah, that's true. you know, that it's like, yeah, I think it's one thing if it's obviously fake and it's just like funny and harmless, but I it's like it just it all feels like such a slippery slope, you know. And then where's that line right. between funny and harmless and like straight up disinformation that is harmful? Yeah. Because some things are obvious to us that they're fake, yeah, but everything right. is not. And as the technology improves, it will mm-hmm. be harder to tell what is fake and what is real. And we started to see this with uh the onion, mm-hmm, you right. know, people will be posting stuff on Facebook, like big, like skeleton mm-hmm. bones and stuff. And I'm like, that's that's wasn't a dinosaur right there. Like that was somebody took mm. that for the onion <laughs> and like <laughs> re, you know, I mean, even filters. Right. People put filters on their faces. I mean, it's a norm for now. Sure. I mean, this is a whole yeah. thing. No, that's right? true. Like misinformation yeah. Yeah. is like a whole thing. It's not just with A.I. I think that we need no. to deal with it. Um, And I think AI is one of the things that we need to deal with within it. But 
it's I don't know. For me, it's, it is sometimes harmless in amusing. It's not all bad. It depends on the context. I think you're totally right about that. Okay, so let's do our last story. This is about a 76-year-old woman in Ecuador who woke up in the middle of her wake. She literally mm. knocked on the coffin. No. Um, waking up in a coffin <laughs> does sound like an absolute nightmare, but not being dead, pretty cool. So, Aaron, burden or delight? Okay, this got into the, like, Kevorkian situation a little bit for me because I'm like do I want to be this woman was like you know and I want to be delicate here because you know life is sacred um but like am I am I like so close to being am I so close to having passed away that someone thinks I have passed Mm. away you know I mean she's Mm. she's not in a good condition right she's in critical Mm. condition actually yeah and so like first of all I will wake up and be like oh this is a dream (laughs) <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um and I, yeah that that to me in that situation i feel like it's a burden i'm not trying to like be living in yeah. such a poor condition yeah. that i'm like next to next to dead that's fair the thing i found myself thinking about is the idea that i don't know if y'all have ever thought about this but like it does sound kind of nice to be able to be at your own funeral, right? Huh. It's like this Ooh, time where everyone comes together to celebrate you and hopefully say nice things about you. And even on the petty side to like see who shows up and who doesn't, right? Is like, Uh-oh. I do kind of like the idea of being able to be there for it. That to me is like the one potential upside of this situation, aside from also not being dead. Though I think your point, Aaron, is like, yeah, also super legit. Wow. You know, when I thought about this story, I thought about it more from the perspective of like her living relatives. You're at the I'm wake. at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden the person I'm there for is Mm-mm. awake. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would be like, wow, uh, <laughs> wild. Hello. But I think it would be cool. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dream. I think the cool thing. Yeah. But I think what would be cool about that would be like, even if you're about to go kind of thing and you're on the end of life, like, you kind of get this rare chance that most people don't get mm. to know that like you're going to die and you know what your mm. funeral looks like. You can make some last minute critiques, <laughs> some changes for the next mm. time. Cause you know, you got to go at some point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could yeah. be like, Hey, purple is not the color. Gold is it for next time. So then they can do it right. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be cool. I mean, for me, like also I got questions cause I'm like, okay, Oh, for sure. Was, for sure. Who, like, was there was there no pulse? Right. I know they're investigating, you know, this also. Yeah. I'm like, and then like, what woke her up? Also, like, did somebody yeah. say something? <laughs> no, that's she was like, question. Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, how often does this quiet. happen? Also, I was like, that's Oof. so wild. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. It is. I mean, it's a resurrection, right? Like, it's kind of fascinating. But yeah, it's crazy. You two are absolutely delightful, and I appreciate you both for coming on. Thank you for playing this ridiculous game with me. <laughs> Thank you for making it. It's a nice yeah, game. it was fun. <laughs> Thank you. After the break, a lesson on body neutrality. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. In the early 2010s, body positivity was the it thing. It felt like every beauty commercial was shouting, love the skin you're in or love your body inside and out. My beauty. My beauty. My beauty. Easier said than done though, right? Because it's still a lot of pressure on you to feel good about yourself in a world where fat phobia and lookism or discrimination based on how you look is coming at you from every direction. Body neutrality, on the other hand, is an idea that attempts to take some of that pressure off. I define body neutrality as the ability to see your body without added meaning, significance, or judgment. So that's a lot of stuff, but it's basically just the ability to see your body for what it is and not all of the extra meaning that we've learned from our conditioning and also not the extra meaning of it being tied to our self-worth. That is Jesse Neeland. They just wrote a book on body neutrality. The idea has come up a number of times on this show, so I wanted to take the chance to dig deeper into how we can put body neutrality into practice. What I think is interesting about it is that like body neutrality and loving your body can totally coexist happily mm. because it, it it's the kind of love we would offer like the loved ones in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. we don't look at our loved ones and be like, oh, you <laughs> you look terrible today. I love you a bit less. You, you would know, be so not, much better it, if, yeah. Right. It's not conditional. It's like, you know, people annoy us and they get on our nerves and we still love them and we still know they're worthy of love. So if we were really talking about that kind of love, I mm-hmm. think maybe it would be, I, I don't know that it's necessarily more attainable exactly, but it would definitely be a lot more useful and a lot less problematic but what what the body positivity movement was pushing uh, is a lot more like loving how you look. Mm. And that is where things get really tricky, because if you've spent like years or decades hating your body, the thought of just changing how you feel to the exact opposite end of the spectrum feels like science fiction. Yeah. Well, and speaking of loving how you look, I mean, even that is so intertwined in really problematic ideas around deriving value from your appearance, which I think especially for, you know, people who grow up as women in this world is like, that's a real sticky one. Yeah, definitely. And and that's ultimately what like my work is trying to get at is recognizing in what way you have tied your sense of self-worth and value and, uh, you know, what you deserve in the world to your body or your appearance and stripping that stuff away. It's so interesting to me because it also seems like so much of it then becomes stripping away all of these things that we're so intensely trained to participate in, too. Yeah, it is a bit like ripping the rug out from underneath (laughs) you in terms of like the very fabric of reality that we've all learned, you know, like different kinds of bodies mean different things about people. That's what we learn in so many different ways that we never even think about. So stripping it away is like... Honestly, uh, you have to really challenge and uh, dismantle your entire worldview. Yeah, that's super complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It can be really overwhelming. Um, But also, I think in today's kind of quick fix culture uh, and even with body positivity, there's a lot of things out there that are like, you know, six weeks to loving yourself. And I don't know, there's just there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of stuff that would make you think this should be easy, but it's absolutely not easy. It's time consuming. It's scary. It's hard, but it's also so rewarding and so worth it. So I'd love to talk a little more about gender role stuff, which you, mm-hmm. of course, get out in the book, too. I think, you know, especially for me as a woman, like I it's I think we're so socialized to even if we don't know it to find value in our appearance. I know the system is just as oppressive for, you know, dudes for all genders. But I'm really curious kind of how you're seeing that playing out in the different kinds of people that you're working with. Yeah. So everyone can struggle with body image issues. But generally speaking, the obstacles that are going to exist for them are going to be based in some kind of gender role ideal. Mm. And we obviously have like masculinity standards for men that you're supposed to be tall and muscular and lean and, you know, sort of like we have that particular ideal. So for them, it's about being big and strong and powerful and jacked or whatever, you know, masculine. Yes. And then for women, it's kind of the opposite. Like you can be jacked, but you got to be small, sort of uh, dainty. You can have curves, but only in the right places. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, And mostly there's this big focus on weight loss and being small or thin. And then actually, I would say over the last uh, couple of years, I've noticed a new ideal growing for non-binary folks, Mm. which is like the sort of androgynous look. But but it's not coming from the same place. We don't have centuries of history around, (laughs) you know, what a non-binary person is supposed to be because we didn't have that language or concept even a decade ago, really. Mm. So uh, even though I do think it is it shows up in a totally different way, and a lot of it is actually just a desire to express ourselves um, in such a way that we're not identifying with one binary gender role or the other. There is also for sure starting to become an ideal around like you're not non-binary enough if you look too masculine or too feminine. So it it just totally depends. Like these things impact what we learn is good and what we learn is bad. Yeah. So, I mean... Given the fact that so many of these systems can feel really inescapable, I don't I, I don't know. I'm thinking about lookism and I'm thinking about the fact that to a certain extent, a lot of this stuff is human nature. You know, I mean, throughout mm-hmm. human history, we have like put beauty on a pedestal. Right. Mm-hmm. I. I am really curious what you think on that front. I mean, obviously, I'm struggling through this question, but. You know, I've heard a lot of people, activists in different spheres talk about how it really is about change from within and, you know, getting that momentum. And if enough people join, that's what it takes to create a movement. But it can still feel so overwhelming and exhausting for just one person to try and figure this stuff out. So is your question kind of like, where do I understand the line to be between human nature and like social conditioning? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a great interpretation um, <laughs> of my babbling. Thank you. Okay. So I guess I would say when it comes to our quality of life as a person struggling with body image issues, our quality of life is like super deeply impacted in a, neg- in a negative way. And it often feels like we are um, connected to what other people think or what society thinks, right? Like, Even a person with a lot of body privilege will say, I just don't feel like um, people like me are good enough, right? It it almost always has this link to the everybody, to the society, to the acceptance, to the, the social hierarchies. But there's a huge difference between 
the like the level of suffering that comes from body image issues and the level of suffering that comes from other areas of like preference and privilege. So for example, if you, I don't know, you really just wish you were rich, you don't usually go around <laughs> feeling such deep shame and self-loathing over the fact that you aren't. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're living in poverty, you might sure. spend a lot of time and energy thinking about getting out of it, but we don't usually like attack ourselves for the yeah. other areas of I want I want to be acceptable or higher status in society. With body image issues, we attack ourselves constantly. It's mm -hmm. got so much power. And that power speaks to how we value ourselves, how we learn to connect our own worth, like literally being worthy of existing, being worthy of taking up space, being worthy of everything, respect, belonging, all of it. So when we talk about body neutrality, we're not talking about changing how other people treat you because we can't. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that a person in a privileged body is going to have a lot easier of a time than a person in a marginalized body. And that's all just reality. Mm -hmm. But a person in either body can come to the, the difference with neutrality is inside themselves saying, this is my fault and I am a failure versus this is society's fault. And that person is upholding a system of oppression and causing me harm. Mm. And I don't, I don't think I want to like participate in this space or with those people or whatever, because I know that I'm worthy and they are wrong. Yeah. So in the back of the book, you have a frequently asked question section, which I loved. Mm. Did you always, were you always planning on adding that? No, that was actually a really last minute thing. Really? My, uh, yeah. My editor said, you know, I think it would be so great if you could do this. And at that point, I was so burnt out on the book. Like, like, are you kidding me? I can't even describe the level of overwhelm. I've never <laughs> felt anything like it. Well, there's such nice distillations. And this kind of speaks to our, our last topic, too. The idea of, um, like, if someone is working to release themselves from the negative associations around body, but um, they say, like, it, you know, it can be really difficult when other people are constantly reinforcing that stuff. And yeah. your answer in terms of like how to navigate that was so thorough. Like it's a big part of the process because we are a communal animal. You know, we're a social creature human. Mm -hmm. So like we we need our connections to thrive. And when everyone that you are connected with is pushing back on something, it's really, really hard to to fully sink into it. So teaching the people around you not necessarily the whole thing, but just teaching them how to treat you at least. Um, it's a huge, huge part of uh, the process. It's almost like seeing through the matrix. You're like, I now realize that my parents or, you know, my sister yeah. or my friends are just constantly talking about weight loss or constantly complimenting appearance and like criticizing appearance. And, you know, it, it just, there comes a point where you're like, I want to teach you. I have mm -hmm. a better way. <laughs> For sure. I know something that has helped me and doesn't always, but has on occasion is realizing often the people in my life who do make the most intense comments also carry the most shame for oh, themselves, yeah. you know, and trying to have some compassion for that has been really helpful. I think a lot of times bringing that compassion and curiosity and even just asking them, like, I've noticed you make a lot of these comments and it, it makes me you know, worry about your own relationship to your body and your own insecurities. Um, if you ever wanted to talk about it, I'm here. Like mm. that kind of thing can be so powerful to open up a conversation because when it comes to body image issues, we just think of it as like the air we breathe. We don't walk around, most people anyway, I certainly didn't walk around being like, I have body image issues and it's a problem mm. I could work on. Like I just thought, 
you know, I was like, this body is issues yeah, yeah. are like the portrayals of anorexic girls in movies. Like what I have is just normal. Mm-hmm. And so people don't even realize that it's even notable until someone reflects, hey, I've noticed. Yeah, totally. So how do you think your own view of your body has changed over the course of doing this work? Oh, my God. That's a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, like, I certainly hated parts of my body. And I definitely felt self conscious, like, pretty much all the time. You know, I'm I'm straight passing, cis passing, white, like, I have all this body privilege. Right. But I also felt that I was like obligated to make everything perfect. So I would have these really obsessive thoughts all the time about like any tiny flaw that probably nobody else could even see or certainly would never notice. And I would obsess over it, taking away from this potential I had to like hit this ideal. Mm -hmm. And all of that came from a feeling that I like owed the world something. So it had this like really dark undertone. I didn't walk around thinking like, I owe it to men to be you know, a perfect sex object, but like, essentially that's what was underneath all of my, my stuff. It was just constant. My brain was constantly on it, no matter what I was doing. Hmm. And over the years, as I started healing that relationship with my body and moving toward body neutrality, I mean, it changed like many times over, but what I can say now is I just don't think about it and I don't care. And I can't even tell you the last time I felt self-conscious Actually, I can. It was like a year and a half ago. I got this really intense rash down my arm and it was just so gross looking. That's And I, yeah. But also like (laughs) the thing about body neutrality is you don't get there and then walk around being like, I am so body neutral. Like it's an absence of anxiety, obsession, insecurity, hatred. Like it's an absence. So you don't Mm -hmm. really think about it until something like that kind of creeps back in and you're like, oh, whoa, (laughs) I forgot about you. Um, But the difference was this time it had nothing to do with my worth. I did not feel attached to the idea that if someone was disgusted by me, by looking at me and seeing my rash, that I was less worthy as a person or was like failing in some way. It's just amazing, Jesse. Thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing this with us. I hope it's very helpful for a lot of humans. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was it's always fun to talk about. Okay, before we sign off, I want to remind y'all, Nerdette is hosting a cake contest in honor of our 10th anniversary. This is very fun. The winner is going to win a $250 gift card to bookshop.org. That is a lot of Nerdette book club books that you could get or really whatever else you want to. And in case you're wondering what kind of decorating you should be doing, Erin and Adora both had some nice inspiration for you. I think it would be a cute dog reading a book. When I think of a cake, I'm like, a blank canvas where I can put anything. I'm like, is it Octavia Butler? Is it a bunch of like, when I think nerd, you know, like it's like the cutest like eyeglass frames. (laughs) Also, I'm just like, I just want to see eyeglass frames. Seriously, it can be anything you want. Or if you don't bake, we have some other ideas for you. Plus all the contest rules at wbez.org slash nerdette cake. Do it. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletter and we share some pretty great recommendations for TV and books and recipes there. You can find it at wbez.org slash nerdetteaf. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. We will see you. 
नेक्स्ट वीक के बाय नर्डेट इज सपोर्टेड बाय द सिंपथाइजर पॉडकास्ट फ्रॉम एचबीओ जॉइन होस्ट फिलिप नुएन इन कन्वर्सेशन विद द कास्ट क्रू एंड ऑथर वियत थानुएन as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.